The COVID-19 pandemic has often been compared to a war situation, and in truth, it has certainly killed more people than many armed conflicts. In the U.S., for example, more Americans were killed by the coronavirus than during the Vietnam War. A chart by the LA Times actually shows that out of all armed conflicts and epidemics, only the Spanish flu and the two world wars have killed more Americans than COVID-19. But the gap is narrowing fast. In a war, the job of a head of state is to choose the paths that will likely cause fewer deaths. Which means that on many occasions, deciding who will be more exposed to death becomes part of the job description. In Brazil, the COVID-19 approach has become extremely political. President Jair Bolsonaro and his allies are in favor of reopening the economy ASAP, saying that should the economy tank, mortality rates will skyrocket, which is not exactly untrue. However, his opponents point out that halting the economy is the only strategy we have to contain the spread of the coronavirus, avoid a healthcare system collapse, and save hundreds of thousands of lives, perhaps even millions. So which approach will cause the least damage and cost the fewest lives? That's what we want to discuss this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. We have heard from people who fiercely support social isolation despite any economic backlash it may cause. Their lesson is that the economy can always recover, but a life lost is lost forever. That is true, but things are more complicated than that. A study published in November 2019 in the prestigious Lancet Global Health Journal traced the link between economic recession and all-cause mortality rate during Brazil's financial crisis of 2015-2017. The researchers found that a one-percentage-point increase in unemployment was associated with a 0.50 increase in mortality rate per 100,000 people, largely due to cancer and heart disease. And with the coronavirus crisis, we are expecting a job apocalypse, as we have covered in a previous episode. More cultivated Bolsonaro supporters point out to that very study to justify their adamant anti-quarantine stance, sometimes even making analogies to some sort of survival of the fittest scenario. People will die, but that's life, they say, echoing the words of their own president. But boy things are really more complicated than that. Circling back the war analogy, we could say that heads of state must choose the fighting lanes that will cause the least casualties. Which is it? Enact the lockdown or reopen the economy? This week, we will focus less on the epidemiological side of the outbreak and even on the humanistic side of things, focusing more on the economical perspective. Not because we at the Brazilian Report are insensitive jerks, but because economic losses can lead to human losses, and vice versa. To discuss that, I talked to Diego Cardoso, a PhD candidate in applied economics at Cornell University. Diego, 
My first question to you is, how much does a human life cost? Uh, so if you're asking me about an individual and a specific life, I would say the value is infinite. But there is also the concept, the economic concept of a statistical life. So if you can explain to our listeners what is a statistical life, because for non-economists, that sounds quite weird. So what is a statistical life and how much can we measure the value of a statistical life? Okay, so yes, yeah, so it's very important to make this distinction between the value of one life, one specific life, and the value of a statistical life. So the value of a statistical life uh, is a framework for measuring uh, risks of dying. So now we're not, we're not talking about specific person. We're not talking about life of Mary or the life of John. We're talking about a life of someone who may die uh, in a certain environment. So the value of statistical life, it's usually measured using what we call the differential compensations in wage. So this is one way of estimating. So what we do, we compare people who have very similar skills, very similar backgrounds, but they work in somewhat different roles in their jobs in which one of them is more exposed to risk of fatality in a given year than the other person. And we compare on average how much more is the person subject to a higher risk making in a given year. So that differential, once we control for a bunch of other things, this is a, a statistical analysis, uh, we can say, well, it might be the case, for example, that a person who's subject to a risk of one in 100,000 in a given year makes $100 more, all right? So we have this compensation for $100 for a person to be exposed to a risk of dying one in 100,000. So this is sort of like an expression of the value of that person's lives for that person, but it's really about risks. And what we do is that we get 100,000 people with the same uh, exposure to risk. And when we get them together, we can say that is likely that in a given year, one person among those 100,000 people is going to die. And we multiplied all the value that they accepted to be exposed to that risk. So we would get uh, roughly uh, $10 million. And we say, well, uh, getting this group of people here, they all together accepted a amount of money that is $10 million, and one of them is going to die. That's pretty much how we make this this the math here. So the value of a statistical life would be 10 million in this example, which is actually uh, the value that has been used by the uh, US EPA, for example, the uh, Environmental Protection uh, Agency. And you and Northwestern University's Ricardo Dahis, you have projected the economic impacts of a strict lockdown in Brazil versus reopening the economy. So if you can explain us what was the study's methodology, and more importantly, what were your findings? Sure. Uh, so this uh, value of a statistical life I just described, it's used when we want to uh, compare costs and benefits of a policy that is going to save lives. Uh, it's used in other contexts as well, say for uh, sanitation, for uh, safety measures, uh, more prominently in environmental policies where you're going to reduce exposure to some pollutant. Uh, and it also applies very well to public health. 
So we can think that if the government does nothing and nobody takes any action towards containing the spread of COVID-19, we're going to have uh, an X number of deaths in Brazil. And then from that baseline, baseline scenario, we can start uh, social distancing measures so that people will stop working, people will stop uh, taking public transit, and that will decrease the amount of deaths will uh, deaths will expect in Brazil. Okay, so this is the 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 how the mortality reduction plays a role. We we are not epidemiologists; we're both economists. Uh, and what we do is that we look at what epidemiologists have projected for Brazil. Uh, and more specifically, we have used report number 12 from uh, uh, Imperial College uh, in the UK. They consider the healthcare system capacity in Brazil. They consider demographics. And they projected a bunch of scenarios from which we consider, well, first, the unmitigated scenario where nobody does anything, the government doesn't impose anything. Second, social distancing scenario for the whole country. And this is roughly between 35 to 45% reduction in the in the uh, frequency of interactions in society. And a couple other scenarios where you have enhanced social distancing, where bes- uh, on top of this initial social distancing, you uh, isolate the elderly uh, more intensively, and then a suppression scenario, which is, say, the best case scenario, uh, where you increase social distancing to 75%, which is a a pretty uh, strict uh, policy. So we take the the projected deaths in each of these scenarios, and this gives us sort of like a mortality rate or a mortality risk. And we get from the value of statistical life that has been estimated for for Brazil uh, very recently uh, in another study, and we we calculate the value for each individual in Brazil that person would place on facing a reduced mortality risk from uh, COVID-19. And once we have that individual value, we'll multiply that for the whole country, and that gives us a notion of the aggregate benefit of reducing the risk of dying for the whole population. So this is the methodology we, we, we have uh, used. And what were your key findings in this study? Uh, the first thing we did uh, is that we followed the literature on uh, what other people have done for other countries. So uh, there are studies for the US, there are studies for the UK. So we took the value of statistical life, the way I just described it to you, and checked against the number of deaths or, or lives saved in each uh, scenario. And we have found that the social distancing scenario, so say the, the lowest policy you could we, we, we could say, uh, has an aggregate value of 4.2 trillion Brazilian reais, so roughly 62% of the GDP. This is a very large benefit for, uh, uh, for social distancing. It's pretty much in line with what other people have found in other countries. So uh, a group from University of Wyoming, they found that this measure of social distancing in the U.S. would correspond to roughly 59% of the GDP. So uh, what we find is pretty much in line, and it tells us that the benefits are massive 
And by any estimates of the cost so far that people have considered for social distancing, it's worthwhile. So the benefits far overweight the uh, the, uh, the the projected costs. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Ewan Marshall. I'm an editor at The Brazilian Report. As you know, we are an independent news outlet that lives off subscriptions. So you can support our independence by choosing one of our plans for the best content about Brazil in English. And if you've already subscribed, then you can also buy us a coffee. With a small donation, starting at $4 and going up to whatever your budget and your heart allows, you can help us refill our coffee mugs to continue our 24-7 coverage of COVID-19 in Brazil. You just need to go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. Cheers. We're back with Diego Cardoso, a PhD candidate in applied economics at Cornell University. President Jair Bolsonaro has adamantly opposed social isolation because he says that if the economy tanks, lives will be lost due to that. But what you're saying is that measuring all costs and benefits, it's still the best economically speaking Social isolation is the best option, right? So this is what our uh, analysis indicates. And uh, again, to say this is not only for Brazil. Actually, our paper does this analysis for 43 other countries. And on average, the benefits of social distancing is 94% of GDP. So we're instead of comparing lives and economy as something separate, what we're doing here is applying the traditional framework of cost-benefit analysis where we can compare this kind of things. So we compare the benefits of lives that people uh, ascribe to their own lives, observing their behavior, and what the economic costs would have been. This comparison he makes only speaks to the cost side of it. He never, at least I, I, I have never seen him at this point talking about the benefits. And this is precisely the part that we want to bring into the debate. Because in, in any cost-benefit analysis, you need the cost, of course, but you also need the benefit. And the benefit so far has not been part of this debate. And Diego, what are the challenges, the specific challenges facing developing nations such as Brazil, where a significant portion of the population sustains itself through the informal sector or is unemployed, as opposed to countries like France, where uh, the economy is much more formal, where workers enjoy much more labor rights and labor protections than here. Let me uh, give a word of warning ahead of time. I'm not a labor economist, uh, but I can make some inferences based on what my colleagues have said so far and my own perceptions. I think one big challenge for Brazil is precisely the large informal sector. And this is exactly where... Uh, the government has to step forward and make sure that those people are not left behind. And this is interesting because in our own estimates for the benefit, I'm talking about you know aggregate benefits for everybody. And even though people may place a high value on their own lives, it might just be the case that they can't stop work on their own. This is where governments have to step in and make sure that the livelihoods of people 
are going to be guaranteed or at least not break any productive linkages that you have so far in place in the economy. So the idea here is that, you know, our challenges compared to countries that have developed economies and, uh, and more uh, a large participation of the formal sector is that the government really has to step in here and make sure those people are not left behind because otherwise they'll be on their own and they will increase the risk not only for themselves, but for the rest of the economy if they keep working and they are not uh, helped by the government and their efforts are not coordinated by local or federal governments. How would you rate Brazil's response to what you just described, the need for the government to step up to the plate and to allow people not to expose themselves to danger? I think the idea of uh, this unconditional or almost unconditional uh, transfer is good. I can't say much about the value, if it's adequate or not. I would have to uh, look into uh, more details whether you know it would be possible to expand this value without compromising too much uh, the uh, finance of the central government. So I can't say much about the value itself, but the idea is in line with what other countries have been doing. Uh, that said, it looks like there is there there has been significant delays on how people were being paid. It looks like there has been big miscoordination on how people would be able to collect the money. So they would be uh, I I I uh, I read reports of people crowding uh, bank branches and uh, other places that where they could withdraw the money. So the idea looks good, and the idea is similar to what other countries have been doing. I'm not sure whether the execution has been the best so far. And. Members of the government has said that it is unfair to compare what Brazil is doing to what countries in Europe or in North America are doing for their workers, because it would be comparing apples and oranges, because Brazil does not have the same fiscal space, does not have the same firepower, economic firepower to fight the pandemic. So trying to compare oranges to oranges, which in your opinion would be a model run by a middle-income or low-income nation that Brazil could look to emulate? This is a good question. Uh, I'm not sure whether we have very good comparisons. Uh, if if we look at our peers in uh, South America, in general, they have been doing a much better job than Brazil has been doing. But, you know, we have different challenges as well. We're we're bigger country than, say, Argentina is uh, and Colombia, for example. But we could look at our neighbors first and see, you know, Argentina closed their borders very early on. Uh, and they have been a lot more coordinated in their efforts than Brazil has. I, I don't know a lot about other countries, uh, what they have been doing in specific. I know they have been following the the uh, recommendations of WHO way more closely than Brazil's been doing. Uh, and it's important to say that even other countries with, you know, a per capita income below Brazil have been doing fairly well, especially if you look at in Asia. Vietnam is a country that's poorer than Brazil, and they have been doing great 
because they act early on. They act very strongly early on. And then this is in line with what people have been projected. If you act fast and you act very strongly, it allows you to go back to normal life or whatever is the new normal much faster. It looks like Brazil so far has been in this worst case scenario where our our uh, our policies of mitigation haven't been implemented early on. It took a long time for them to be implemented. And even when they did, they weren't really enforced. So we end up in this scenario where we have a lot of the costs from these policies, but not a lot of the benefits. And you mentioned a key aspect of fighting this pandemic, which is acting early. And like you just said, that is not Brazil's case. We are facing tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of deaths from COVID-19. So while I'm not asking you uh, for looking into your crystal ball and predicting the future, but uh, comparing what is happening now to other past traumatic events, how does an economy recover from such a sheer human loss like the one we are facing yeah, this is a very tough question. I think a lot of smart people are trying to figure out what our, you know, what economic recovery is going to look like afterwards. So you have two components there. The first one is just the economic recovery by itself because productive processes have been stopped. Uh, productive chains have been interrupted. And getting that back to speed as it was before is already a tough question to answer. People talk about a, a, a recession, a V recession, where you recover as quickly as it dropped. It will be one of the best case scenarios. We don't know if in this scenario. And all of that is considering that you don't have too many losses in, in terms of people dying. I think if people die in, in the quantities that are predicted for unmitigated scenario, we're talking about over a million deaths. We're talking about a, a scenario that is similar to a post-war scenario. And from history, we know that these recoveries might be very slow. So as you said, I, I would need a crystal ball. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. It's really tough and it's very uncertain to, to speak from now on what it's going to look like to have to recover both the economy and the productive sector and have a massive uh down, downward shock in the labor force. So I don't know this answer, but I would say I, I wouldn't say it's anything related, even close to what a pure economic recession will look like or economic depression will look like. It would be a tougher scenario. It would be a much harder scenario because you would have to uh, fight not only the, the, the all the problems with the economic recession or depression, but also you know, the grief and the return to work after such a traumatic episode in the history of a country. This is definitely an unprecedented scenario we're, we're facing and, you know, massive uncertainty. I, I can't say anything looking forward that would, you know, recovery could be positive if we let this amount of people die. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars and share this podcast with your friends. But that's not the best way to support us. 
Actually, you can go to our website and for as little as $3.90, you can subscribe to the best content about Brazil in English. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. We're bringing new content every day about how the pandemic is affecting every single aspect of life in Brazil and Latin America, all the way from the stock market to the sex industry. We also have a paywall-free COVID-19 live blog. That's it for this week. Stay home, stay safe, and I see you next week.